Enggak, enggak gue. An exclamation mark on my life. That is how Lawrence O'Coy described becoming world champion with a sixth round stoppage of Christoph Glavatsky in London last night. He'd already won British, European and Commonwealth titles. He is now a world champion in just 16 professional fights, the same number as his mentor, Anthony Joshua, at heavyweight. Doing so, O'Coy follows in the footsteps of Glenn McCrony, Carl Thompson, Johnny Nelson, Enzo Marconelli, David Hay and Tony Bellew as British cruiserweight world champions. This is After the Bell, Mirror Fighting's review and reaction to Lawrence O'Coy's victory with me, Martin Dominic, with Barry Jones and with Declan Taylor. You were both ringside last night at Wembley Arena. Barry, I'll start with you. What impressed you about Lawrence O'Coy? Um, his patience this time. I think you know, I think there was improvement in his last fight, but this one was evident that you know, he has that big right hand. That's where all the power is, obviously, but he was still happy to pepper him with the jab and not not get too close. I think that was really important. He was always keeping that range, that distance, and happy to frustrate the other guy and not get frustrated himself. Because I can imagine when you've got a big punch, though I wouldn't know, that all you want to do is knock the guy out. So you want to do that as quick as you possibly can. But So there's an eagerness there to go too fast, too forward. And I think in his, in his career in general, the scrappy performances have been because of that. He's been trying to reach with that right hand before it's been ready and it's been tangled up and and all the holding and grabbing. But this time, he was very disciplined. And he took his time, and he, and he just made that kid frustrate until until Kravatsky really had to overcommit himself, and then he would throw that right hand. And I thought, you know, tactically, he got his spot on. He does seem like a very composed individual, Dick. Even, you know, he talked before the fight about how he just has, he has no fear, and maybe that's just something boxers have, but he seems particularly just almost... A, not oblivious to what's going on, but almost it just takes it in his stride so much. Even at the end, there was barely a celebration. No, Glavatsky was getting treatment, but it was almost like, okay, job done. Let's move on. I mean, it's the biggest night of his career. Yeah, I did. I'll be honest. I, I, I fancied him to win last night, but over the course of the week and in those bubbles, it's quite strange because you're obviously seeing them all the time, constantly, and you know, seeing how they operate during the fight week. And we interviewed him, obviously, and he seemed like so confident, but not but a sort of worrying confidence. He was talking about his ring walk a lot, talking about this and talking about that. And I was starting to worry, like, is he, is he, is he focused? But it was the other, it was the other way. He was so confident and so sure of himself that there was not a single nerve. He did say that there was a, a few nerves started creeping in, but they would do. But it was funny because in the week they showed, and you might've seen it, Matchroom produced a little documentary called Next in Line. And it was, all the, those guys that you mentioned there, Thompson, Hay, Bellew, all of them, Macronelli, uh, talking about the night that they won the title and how it was the greatest night of their life and the pinnacle of their career and the pinnacle of basically everything they've done. And Akoli was there and he, he enjoyed it, but he afterwards he said, I don't see tomorrow night, I don't see Saturday night as that for me because it's just a, it's still just the start of what I plan to do at the at the sort of pinnacle of the of the sport. And I think that's what you're alluding to there. There was no mad celebrations. I went to the changing room afterwards, no party, no music on, none of that. It was just sort of job done. Um, and I think you've got to rate that. And because he's only had what, like 
60 fights in his life, amateur and professional. And look what he's done and what he's achieved already. He has to be slightly wired differently to have been able to do that. Like when he boxed Savon in the Olympics, he'd had like 20 bouts. Savon had had 250 or something like that. He's never cared. He didn't care one bit last night and it showed in his performance. There wasn't an ounce of concern or caginess. And I think that's what he's going to need because he wants Bradis and then he wants Makabu. He wants all the belts at Cruiserweight and then he wants to go to heavyweight. He's going to have to, you know, he can't doubt himself if he wants to do that. And I think that just reflects in his in his his personality and what, what he's done and what he's come from. And I think that is why he's so successful, because he's just on another planet. He, just, he, doesn't, he doesn't look at things the way that normal people do or the average Joe does. Um, and I think that's where he gets his success from. Is there any danger, Barry, that he doesn't sort of live in the moment and appreciate the moment enough? I know, I guess winning a world title in front of no fans is, is, is difficult. So you, you can imagine it might have been different at another time. But you have to sort of appreciate each of the different steps as you go on the journey rather than just looking at whatever his end goal is in a few years' time. I, you know, I was just thinking that as Declan was, 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 was explaining how, how Lawrence thinks. And, and I just thought, you know, just, yeah, sometimes you've got to take stock of what you're doing and go, wow. Look what I've done because it is it is a wild moment and, and and it's a wild moment in your life and whatever he'll go on to do and and I'm sure he'll have more success. This will still be the start of it. This is this is it and so you have to sit back and enjoy it and 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 appreciate yourself for what you've done for all your hard work. These are the the fruits of your labour, but also not it's not just him. These kids in general now, this young generation of fighters, don't just want to be a world champion. I can't. Well, when I was a, when I was turning pro, it was just to be a champion of something. You know, but now they have aspirations of being a world champion, and the real good ones are t- already talking unified. I want to be unified and and three weight world champion. You know, they they have bigger dreams, which is which is great. But you have to be a little bit realistic, and also you have to, like you said, take stock of of what you're doing and just sit back and go. Then let's just take a bit of time out and enjoy this. Enjoy this. Otherwise, you'll get to you'll get to thirty eight and they'll be retired and and, and not in, not enjoyed anything. Could it just be you know, the focus is fantastic, but don't please don't let that focus you know, take away for the enjoyment of what you're doing. You have to do, like you said, live in the moment and, and appreciate it because it don't come again. And I tell you that, but I know that that more than anyone. It does doesn't come back round again for you once it's gone. It's gone. So you have to enjoy it. Luckily, I enjoyed mine, but. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I did because it was just it, I didn't think I'd get there. But Lawrence believed he'd always get there, and, and I think Declan's right. You just he he walks around. He's a giant man, but he's still a young man. He walks around with no almost like arrogance. To be fair, he's not, I don't think he's an arrogant kid. He's a real confident, calm, you no know, real laid back sort of guy who who doesn't take any nonsense off anybody, and just believes in himself. And I think when you got that inner belief, you can walk around with your head high and go, "Yeah, don't worry about it. We'll see." And I think the performance, the improvements in him as well over the last few fights have, have been have been quite sensational. And I think the the maturity in his work and the discipline for the, for the lack of, of fights that he's had throughout his career is is quite impressive. I think you've got to give credit to Shane McGuigan there as well because that was um, punch perfect performance against an awkward southpaw, tough one. Two, you know, been world champion before. No mug, and it was in terms of dealing with a, with Southport that size, it was just about perfect. He won every round, and then knocked him out with a one, with one shot. It was brilliant, and then obviously as well that night he had Chris Billum Smith in a tough fight who won on points, and you know really had to dig deep. Yeah. And Anthony Fowler showing more improvement, winning 
stoppage against a, a, a good opponent. Like it was a great night, and it's risky because we saw that with Josh Warrington and Sean O'Hagan. Reese Mogg got knocked out, knocked out bad. Yeah, and then he goes back to the dressing room, and and he's got his dad's Warrington's dad's got to go again for a big fight. Don't know if that had an effect, but you know it's not great, is it? So they had three guys on the card. So not only has he got to deal with that three three fights on the night. But all week, Shane is juggling three different fighters in different stages, different fight, you know, different level of fights, different weight cuts and stuff like that. I mean, it was a massive, massive night for that for that gym. Um, and not once did any of the team look at all worried or concerned. It was so controlled and calm all week. And obviously, they got the results and the the, the fruits of it in the evening on the Saturday night, which is what it's all about. So massive credit to 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 Shane and that that whole team because from start to finish, it was absolutely perfect. I gotta say, I was in the I was in the backstage when they were warming up. So the, my room was pretty much in the middle between they they were like I think Akoli was six doors down and and Gravatsky's eight doors down. So I could hear Gravatsky on the pads, loud, big guy. You know, you could hear him. And then I could hear Akoli on the pads, and it was like someone was hitting a sledgehammer, a wall with a sledgehammer. It was unbelievable, and you just thought they should open the door and let this kid hear that. You know, it was, it, and you just think, you no. Know, all those, all those technical deficiencies that he has, and he still got loads of them. Though the jabs improved, so that's great. When you've got that, that, those attributes he has, he's using them now at last. And he, and I, th- I always thought Shane McGuigan was a good fit for him because he's not bringing that right foot forward when he throws the right hand anymore. He's turning him off on the waist. And I thought Shane McGuigan would always be good for him for that sort of stand-up sort of style. And and his, his improvement there, I, I just think he was being, he's been a, a revelation last night. I think I. I thought I fancied him to win, but it was more to do with Gravatsky being maybe just past his sell by date a little bit and the awkwardness of 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 Lacoli getting him over the line, but it wasn't that. He did he tactically and technically got it perfect. Jab, 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 frustrate you, frustrate you. And when you jump in, I'll hit you with the right hand. And he was and he was varying that jab and varying the weight in that jab. It wasn't always a he was touching with it sometimes. He was leaving it out there, invite you to, to, to dive in. And then he was just pushing it out really hard as well. So I think the mixing up of the, of the levels of the jab as well. That was a something that really, I think, made Gravatsky just didn't know what to do in the end. You could see he was a frustrated, real frustrated figure. You know, from pretty much from the second round on, he was kept trying because that's his that's his game. But he sort of knew I just can't get in, can't get close to him. And when I do get close to him, he tucks me up, he holds me up, and he's even, sorry, he's even doing that better now. Yeah, he's even holding. He's been able to get his arms on the inside, and it looks like the guy's holding you. So yeah, yeah, he's a, it's huge improvements. The problem, or one of the problems, I guess, Deck, with, with anything in life now, but certainly boxing, a lot of people are thrust into the spotlight early on. So, especially after an Olympic cycle, so Okoli comes through, he has like Joshua Boazzi, Joe Cardina. It's same with Matchroom, it's all bells and whistles. It's easy to forget, as you mentioned, how few fights he'd had before he turned professional. So there is this, and we've talked about it before with the likes of Anthony Yard, there is this learning on the job, but he he had to deal with learning on the job and also just, and, and having big fights, you look, he fought at Wembley, he headlined against Isaac Chamberlain at the O2, which, you know, maybe that's happened with other fighters since then, but at the time I seem to remember it being quite a big deal headlining at that stage, at that kind of event. He's always had to deal with this criticism of his style. It's been a difficult journey for him, hasn't it? And he's only he's now he maybe not have been bothered about it, but other people have certainly given him plenty of grief for it. It's come everything has come exceptionally quick to him, and it's not for want of trying. But 
you know, he got an invite just on the off chance to go and spar Joshua at um, the matchroom gym in Essex when he was obviously when he was just an amateur. And he did so well in the spar that Rob McCracken sort of went, you know, where have you been hiding? Who are you? And that, and then he was on GB and then he was going to the Europeans and then he was at the Olympics. You know, this doesn't happen to, to most people, you know, amateurs plug away for years and never get those sorts of opportunities. He, and the same thing happened as a professional. And I think his personality and his character has helped, you know, the source and all that stuff. I remember his signing when he, he sat, he was on the table with Kelly and Cordina and him, you know, that signed by JD money or whatever it was at, at the O2 that time. And he was the star of the show and he making people laugh and stuff like that. And they obviously, that often hasn't, um, correlated to his performances in the ring, or at least his style in the ring, because he, he made he joked last week that he was watching a video on YouTube and it was like ten worst boxing matches in history or something, and he said he was two of the eight. He, he was two out of ten. It was Isaac Chamberlain and the Matty Askin fight because you forget that now because they were stinkers. And I think what happens is because of his style and he's quite awkward, and obviously a really big puncher, is that people go, I don't want to get hit by that, so he, he misses with the right hand and they hug reset misses with right hand hug reset and it, that was just constantly happening obviously then you've got southport it could have been an absolute stinker last night it could have been a tap first it could have been 12 rounds of nothingness and it it wasn't and i think that that suggests that like you say he's learning on the job but now it's starting to click a bit and he's got shane mcguigan now and they're working on things and i mean how do you go about beating him he's so awkward so long and then when he does get in range he hits so hard it's going to be really tough to beat him. Even a seasoned champion like Maris Bredis is going to—he's going to struggle. He's going to struggle to have nobody is ever going to look good against him. And then you could get stopped at any point. It's a real—it's almost like if he didn't have the back in the match room and and you know when the crowds come back and stuff like a bit an ability to generate money like that, nobody would want to fight him. He'd struggle to—he'd be—he'd be who needs him club. Um, but luckily he's got the belt now. And, you know, he's a rising star and he's got the backing of Anthony Joshua and everything else. Although Joshua wasn't there last night, I should point that out. Um, he, yeah, people are not going to be looking at him like you're an easy champion. They're going to think, I don't want any of that guy. I think he will be in stinkers again. I, yeah. I don't know doubt about that. I'm pretty sure that's going to be, you know, he's almost like a Johnny Nelson who can be in some awful fights. It's always effective. And we'll be in some good, really good fights as well because you know he'll, he'll, some guys will just be commit themselves and that will make him look great. He holds more than the opponent, to be honest. I think that was in the past that that was the case. And I think with a guy with with a, with a lack of experience, you're always worried about not getting hit because you can take a punch or you can't take a punch. Pretty much, it's having punches thrown at you is the biggest issue that you have to deal with. And and I think it, at times he brought that right foot forward to want to hold you because. He didn't. He, he's never been in that situation of getting people firing shots, and now he's not really in that situation now because he's so far away. He sits on the back foot. He got such. But forget about being tall. His arms are longer than what his height. You know, for what his height should be, he's they're the longest arms I've ever seen in my life. So he has so many great advantages for that, and I just think that makes it difficult for people to fire at him. So he's, he still have not been under that sort of pressure, and how he copes with that further down the line, if anyone can get inside those long levers. Because no, because you know it's easy to say you're going to do it. I'll stay nice and low, like Kravatsky did. Stay nice and low, and I'll come in and I'll slide into that jab and I'll fire the right hand over the top. You know, Southpaw who can stay low would be a, should be a nightmare for a Coley, and it wasn't. 
Not, I mean, Gravatsky got the foot on the outside. He did his best things he could do. He's not the fastest of men on, the, on his hands or feet, of course. So that would be someone who maybe be more effective. But again, according to no, now he, now he can use, now he knows how to use that jab, and now he knows how to put different weight behind that left hand. It, you know, it makes him even harder. Forget about being awkward. It, it makes because he gets technically better, and he is getting technically better. He becomes from being awkward to just very, very good. And I think mm. you no, know, it's not just the power now. I think he's starting to get technically better, and that's a, a nightmare for everyone in in both yeah, divisions, not just the cruiserweight. There was some real nuance on the backhand as well. Like he wasn't just sticking it in straight. There were bolos to the body, even sort of half semi bolo hooks around the side with the yeah. right hand that sort of landed on the on the top of the head. Glowacki hurt him, I think, in the third round. Looked like he could have gone after him then. He said after, what was the point? You know, he, he knew he had him hurt, but he didn't want to rush it. And again, that's more that's more set, testament to you know the way he's thinking about it now and the way he's setting it up. And he's got massive. I've got to say, he's got massive feet. He must be size 15 or something like that. So now he, he's getting keeping them down and he's twisting his feet into the shots. He's not falling over the right and he's not reaching for it. It's just that rotation and the whip with that long arm. You, you think, you know, when you think of Michael Phelps was like this freakish body and it made him yeah. this amazing swimmer. It's almost like you've made the perfect cruiserweight. It, although, it, you know, it's not how you would think of a pitch book cruiserweight, but you're like, right, he's got long levers. He punches really hard. He gets this mad power and you can't get to his head. It's but just about it's just about impossible to beat. Um, it's going to take someone special to 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 beat him and and to look good against him. His aim, as we as we said, has always been to unify. You've mentioned Marius Bredas, who's the obvious one, I guess, if you want to assert yourself as the best in the division. Is that I guess Barry? You have plenty of options. If you become world champion, you can move up, which he said he will do in time, but not yet. You could have a few soft defences if you wish sort of you know establish yourself or as he wants to do go after the other champions I should give a shout out you mentioned it before Lunga Maccabi of course of Tony Bellew fame rebuilt himself very well since then the WBA of course have two champions as they always do Arsen Gulamirian and Riyad Meri I'm sure I'm sure you know more than me but Bredis is his target is that uh is that what you would if you were advising him if you were if you were in his shoes is that what you would be doing looking for the, for the main man in the division now i think uh, first of all the fact that he mentioned breeders first is just shows again his confidence that he didn't pick oh, i want to pick up all the belts and i don't care who he's picked the best one straight away i want him because you know the, other, the others might be harder to make and whatever but i, I think that can be a fight that's, that can be made of course because because i think Brady's is with the solens I, I, I believe yeah. so i think that'll fight that you know the match room and the solens work together quite well so that that's a fight that can be made and it's the, the two best in the division for me i think makubu is is too slow a foot for and he, he, i think you get finished early like he did against bellu but probably not, not have the same success that he had against tony bellu i don't think but well, by the way, what a win that is for Bellu. Looking back now, at the time it looked like an easy, an easy route to the world title, but actually it's turned out to be a fantastic win. I think they want to get him the heavyweight as soon as they can. So I think they want to make this, try and make it a unified, undisputed. But it, I don't think they're going to get the undisputed cruiserweight title. They get unified. You get one, one extra belt at best. You know, it must be really difficult to make the weight. He, he says it's not, but just that frame alone, it's got to be hard. And then it's the bulking up period. To move up the weight because then you know, once he gets up to, to heavyweight, the height is is, is is the same as everyone else's, and that reach is is, is reduced a little bit. And, and and the advantages and the luxuries you have at cruiserweight are no longer there at heavyweight. So 
again, it's a, it's a, it's a, another learning on the job experience for him. But I think if one that he relishes, I don't think he's scared of learning on the job. I don't think he's like, oh, I'll stay down the cruise with it as long as I can. Okay, I'm, I'll have it easy because they're all like six foot three and I'm six foot six and I got the reach of a six foot of a seven foot two fighter. He said, put me up there. I want to fight Joshua, who's, who's six foot nine, has a long reach himself. Or Anthony Joshua is six foot six. I want to get in and challenge him. So, but he wouldn't fight. Would he fight his manager? That's the nah. He said we asked him that, and we thought that'd be a nice little angle. But he said. He said, to be honest, my mum would support Joshua if, if we fought. He said his mum would not allow it because of what Joshua's done for his life and whatever else. So that would be interesting, wouldn't it? He said, the only way I'd fight Joshua is if Joshua would turn around and said, I, I want you, I want to fight you. So he'd go the other maybe, way. He'd go, oh, he'd go the other route. Maybe that's why Joshua didn't turn up, maybe. he's thinking. I'm oh, just oh, thinking, so. I'm, you know, reading <laughs> the lines. He might, maybe he's training for him already. Be careful, though, that'll be a narrative. You'll, you'll read that somewhere, though. <laughs> It does feel like it might not be the worst time to, to, to go to heavyweight. Maybe not right away, as we said, but the belts are tied up more or less probably for, uh, I don't know, the next 18 months, perhaps, in terms of, although they're going to split up again, it could be a good chance for Chloe to squeeze in there, maybe, I don't know, summer, end of next year, Dick? Yeah, I mean, I would think that they'll he will attempt to win all the belts. Um, what, we're in March now? He's obviously definitely going to do the rest of this year at Cruiser. I reckon, yeah, the back end of 2022, he'd probably look for a heavyweight debut. I don't think they'll rush it. I do think... I'm interested to see what they do with him frame-wise because he is tall, but he's pretty wiry, obviously, because otherwise he wouldn't make Cruiserweight. But he's got a really good training team around him. He trains with a guy, Dot Training, who has got him, obviously, working on power and long leaves. I think he's got a basketball background, so that... You know, it's not a problem for any decent strength and conditioning coach to get an athlete like that and, you know, and, and build them up. It's not like he's super fast or anything like that. You know, like with Usyk, there was a worry that putting extra weight on him might slow him down and might affect... I don't see that being a problem with a Coley. It's just about intelligently doing it. And when you think about the size of him, you know, he's already taller than Dylan White. You know, he's taller than Derek Chisore, taller than Joseph Parker. Okay, you've got the big, big guys who he's, you know, he's going to be, he's going to look like a cruiserweight against, but really, he's not that, you know, he's not far off. Usyk for me was always a bit more of a concern because he just seems a bit smaller, but physically, his stature, he looks like a heavyweight. Um, I think it would be a good thing for him actually to carry on in big fights at cruiserweight for his, just for his learning, to be honest, which sounds crazy that it would be in unifications trying to look, you know, to learn a bit and get a bit more seasoned. But I think that, you know, can you imagine what he's going to learn in a, in a fight with Bradis if it goes long and he, you know, has to try different things and work stuff out. I mean, it would be absolutely invaluable. Um, and I hope as well that someone like Bradis might look at a Coley and go, I need to get to him like now because he's, he's only going to get better and, you know, he's raw still. And, and then that might play into the fans hands and that we actually get to see that fight and they don't try and avoid him or anything like that. Um, I think we've got another year maybe of, of a Coley at, at Cruiserweight and it will only be big fights, I would say. I don't think he's going to just have look for soft defences and stuff like that. I don't think he's in any mood to do that whatsoever. Um, well, just, look at his, just look at his life as a boxer so far. He's never hung around and done that. So I would think, I would think it'll be unification, unification. As soon as they dry up, it'll go to heavyweight. Um, I reckon a year, a year more at Cruiserweight and then, and then he'll be ready. I, I don't know if it'll be that long, to be honest. I understand you know, they, that's what they should do, but I just think that once he becomes heavyweight, 
the money changes straight away, doesn't it? I think, mm. and you've got to see that. You know, you'll see Derek Chisora now, who's, who's pay per view again, you know, from a, a almost a he's got a winning record, but it don't seem that way at the highest level. He's got a losing record. And there's, you know, think I'll fight Derek Chisora in my first heavyweight fight, and they'd be pay per view. Yeah. And my money, and my money goes up like an extra note straight away. You know, it's it's yeah. different gear. So, and that and that would be feasible, by the way. And I wouldn't be surprised that if if they if he if he became heavyweight like next February, I could see his first heavyweight fight being Derek Chisora on a pay per view event. It's funny you should say that because Chisora was there last night, and afterwards we were speaking to him, and and they sort of broke off halfway through to hug a Coley. They're really close mates, Chisora. Um, basically sorted out all his sparring for this camp. He obviously was sparring Southpaws. She's all very, very close. But I would wonder if the money that they would generate, and obviously with Chisora, you know what, he's he's like business-wise, he'd be up for it if it makes sense. Yeah. I, I would be interested to see if that was a fight they would make, because it would be, you know, he has turned into this gatekeeper. Just look at Usyk, you know, this high-level gatekeeper. It sounds disrespectful, but it's not. Um, that would be the sort of perfect fight, but I don't know if they're too... They're too close for that, and they're you know they're they're mates. The fight that we sp- that we hear about quite a lot, and there is a little bit of background there, is the Dillian White fight. Um, it's it's yeah, it's course, hard yeah. to say what happens with Dillian White now. Obviously, he's boxing next week, and if he wins, he obviously has aspirations at the the height, the other end of the of the sport, and he might see that as a step down. But again, if it makes money, and there's a narrative there, maybe that's a fight we see, um, and that's an interesting one because Dillian White not a huge heavyweight, big puncher, but he's not. He's not yeah. colossal, is he? He's not six foot nine. So the options are brilliant. And you're right. As soon as you start putting these people together, you start thinking that is that is pay-per-view. That will make money. That will make money. And then maybe they will do it much quicker than, than a year. It is. And you see why all these fighters, do they go to heavyweight quicker than what they should or they, or they shouldn't or they could stay around the cruiser because that's what, the only reason David hated, as much as he struggled to make cruiserweight, no, it, it was just for the money. And you can't blame them for that because they're, you know, it's, it's, it changes just, it's not like a few extra quid. It's life changing money over in a one fight, and you sort you sort of say, well, Derek Chisora, don't be disrespectful. It's not, it's not disrespectful. I was saying he's a gatekeeper. He's oh, can it be? He's in millions per fight <laughs> as a gatekeeper. It's it's. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It's um. Good luck to him. I'm like, oh, congratulations, but I've never seen anything like it in my life that a guy who, who, who loses all the big fights that he has, but but he loses them with a badge of honor because he's tough and he's brave and he gives his all. Is worth. Ten times as much as Chocolatito. Figure that out. That's the spot. But that's the that's the that's the lure and the and the attraction of the heavyweight division, and that's where the Cody's going to end up most definitely. While we're on the heavyweight division, we might as well have a quick word on next weekend. Dane West rematch with Alexander Povetkin in Gibraltar, of course. Why not, Declan? Are you going into this fight having seen the first fight? Are your feelings, predictions? Different to them, the same as them. Well, it's funny you should say that. First of all, got to point out, me and Barry both going to Gibraltar and the bubble is on a boat. So that's going to be novel. It's a very weird old experience. The weather looks lovely, but we'll be on a boat. So hopefully, I mean, next week we'll do this from a boat. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought that was, that was possible? Um, but do you know what? I actually, um, I fan- fancy Povetkin, but in the first fight, I realised the danger that he would pose one punch wise to Dylan White. I didn't see that those few opening rounds happening where he basically did whatever he wanted to him and, you know, had him going ready to go and then get, I didn't expect that, but your new Povetkin was dangerous. The one thing I'm worried about, the one thing I do think is going to be a factor in this fight is that Alexander Povetkin had 
the reason that it's only happening now is he had COVID bad, apparently, we're told. Um, he went to hospital with it. Um, and then he started camp and the fight was supposed to happen much earlier this year. And then he had to stop training because he had, you know, the long COVID or whatever. Again, this is just what we're told and it's been confirmed by the team. My worry, my my feeling towards this fight is if there's any ill effects of COVID, which obviously we're told physiologically is terrible for your, um, you know, your breathing and your fitness. And that seems to be the big problem is that when you when you get over it, you never you don't really get over it. Look at Rachel Ball had to withdraw just because you can't get going. She try, tries to start camp and you're just like, I can't. There's nothing, nothing there. There's nothing in the lungs. Um, if that's in any way how he's feeling, a fight against Dylan White, if he's anywhere near approaching full flight, you know, after a long camp and, you know, having that fire lit under him from getting stopped in the first fight, I think Povetkin could be in trouble. Um, and who knows, lesser, you know, many, many fighters in the past have gone into a fight not fit because they go, well, I'll get there and I'll get paid. I don't really care. I'll do it. If I'm getting two million quid, I'm, I don't care if I'm going to be knackered on the night because I want I want my money rather than not turning up. Povetkin hasn't got long left in the sport. So, um, I just I just worry about the COVID and I, I, we won't know about the effects of it until he gets in there. And I think for that, for me, reading into what has happened and, the, um, you know, that, that illness and that condition that he's had, I can't see. I think it's all it's all in Dylan White's favour. And I think it's similar to the first fight. It's going to take something special on the night to for Povetkin to, to win the fight. But. As he's, as he's still got that, even if he's half fit, even if he's half fit, maybe he's got one of them. And what, what another thing we don't know is, is he going to be gun shy, Dylan White, after getting hit like that? You know, the last time he was in a boxing room competing, he got hit like that and he woke up on the floor not knowing what had happened. So that's another thing. How is he going to react to that? We saw how Joshua did. He came back and boxed Ruiz's ears off and won, won his belts back. But not everyone does that. So it's a fast, I think it's a fascinating fight for two, you know, for two heavyweights in a non-title fight. I think there's a lot of really intriguing little storylines and I'm I'm really looking forward to it and I, um, I think it's going to obviously it means a huge amount for Dylan White's career because if he loses this one that's him near basically done at the top level Would you like to see Dylan White make specific adjustments Barry or is it a case of you know he got it wrong at that the moment in that fight um, Yeah I, there's, no, there's no massive adjustments there's little adjustments that will make a massive difference and I think for me you got Harold Knight in his, in his corner. I think that will help with a solid jab because obviously being with Lennox Lewis for all those years and Emmanuel Stewart, that solid jab is 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 something that, that was that was the most important to their game. And that was what I, I sort of mentioned that before the first fight, that he needs a solid jab, Dillian White, because he throws it and he brings it back to his waist. That invites someone to come forward. All that happened in that fight, though, so when you look back and watch it again, though, Povetkin was always in it, though, getting beat. And he wasn't that hurt when he got knocked down. When you look back at the time, you think it because you're in it and you think, "Oh, he's been hurt." He's, but he wasn't. He was, he was right. caught. Yeah, and and he's so experienced he is, and he and he just steals your space. And I think because Dillian likes to block and counter, then he wants you in close. And because he was having success when when, when Perfecki was in close, he was comfortable with, with Perfecki in close. But that and that, that was the issue. Lied. It needed to be a strong jab, keep you on the end of that jab all the time, and never even if you want to do your things you're used to doing. Leave, let the smaller guy have to reach reach at you. That's what he should have done. And I think now, especially with Harold Knight in his corner, he would be a little bit more that way. If he can just keep, if he keeps on the end of the jab and don't try to knock him out in two rounds, he'll knock him out in seven rounds. Because Povetkin is past his sell by date, though still good, and he is he has got slower feet than he used to have. He never had fast feet in the first place. So I think 
he can win. But if he lets him in close, and uh, Dillian likes the problem is Dillian likes to have a war. That's just in his nature. If he lets him in close, he might not perfect it out, but he's put himself at risk. And that's all that happened the last time. He got comfortable with him close because he wasn't really getting that hurt. And then he dipped down Pavekin. He did that the Pavekin signature move, dipped over that front foot. Rather than come up with the left hook, he came up with the uppercut. And it was a beautiful shot, which he can throw, which he's thrown many times before. It wasn't a fluke. That's muscle memory for Pavekin. So if he keeps on the end of a solid jab, I think I think it can be a comfortable win for Dillian White. But discipline's the key. And I'm not I, so I fancy I fancy Dillian White like I did in the first fight. But I'm not sure that Dillian has that discipline that he might need. We'll see. We'll see. The, the intrigue is there, that's that's for sure. It certainly is, and we will be back next Sunday. Well, two people. I, I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to avoid thinking about what I'm going to be faced with when I log on on Sunday <laughs> well, morning. I, I have to say, Matt, I have to say, Martin, look, Declan said we're on a boat. It's not quite a boat. <laughs> no, I've seen it's it. a cruise ship. It's, it's more cruise of a cruise ship. ship. It's beautiful. It's, yeah, like you, we, we might be on top, the, top get, deck with did, our shades on. Did you get the email about being able to choose your room? Don't start with this. You tried to get me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I got the king. I got the suite anyway. I got the overlooking the, I don't know what you call it. What, what sea is it? Mediterranean one side, Atlantic the other. It is, yeah. But you're, you're so tall, you're going to open the window asleep. <laughs> Put your feet out. It's going to be a good week, I think. I think it's going to be a good week. I'm sure we'll hear all about it next Sunday when we will, of course, review Dillian White's fight rematch with Alexander Povetkin. Please do join us then. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, goodbye.